0: Stephanie Coxon, and I'm Kathy Anderson-Martin, and we are Two Women Influencing Real life. So let's twirl.
1: Have you considered that you may be being lied to about Thanksgiving, the dark side of Thanksgiving? That seems to be something that's being talked about more and more as we have, uh, how shall we say it, revisionist history. But we're going to talk about Thanksgiving and what it means and
0: maybe things we forgot. So I'm Kathy Anderson-Martin. And I'm Stephanie Coxon. We are two women inspiring real lives, so let's twirl.
1: Well, we are excited today. We're coming into the holiday, Stephanie,
0: uh, the Thanksgiving holiday. One of my favorites. You get to eat. No one judges you That's for the right. amount that you can
1: eat. That's right. Um, and it's, you know, some of us, I've started playing Christmas music a week or two ahead ago, but um, we're not supposed to do that yet until after a lot of people say not until after
0: Thanksgiving. Are you one of those? I will listen to the Christmas music any time of the year. Okay. Anytime. doesn't matter. Well, because it's the holiday and we're
1: going into the Thanksgiving holidays that so many of us like, and maybe some of us can recall in school when
0: we dressed up as pilgrims and Indians and had a little feast. With- oh, do you mean when we didn't need safe spaces and no one was offended at every single thing you did? Yes,
1: correct. But I remember that and, you know, making the little turkey hands and all those kinds of things. I don't know if they still do that in school, but we wanted today to talk about Thanksgiving, maybe what's being presented today and actually those stories. And as a reminder of that holiday and
0: what it meant. Absolutely. That'll be fun. I like that. Learn the real history. That's right. Real history as opposed to fake news history or revisionist history. So we have a special
1: guest today. We have a gentleman who is the and I use gentleman as a term loosely, and I'll explain that. As the director of, he's the director of social studies at a local high school and teacher and much loved and um, has been published in uh, the National Review. Uh, so he's going to talk to us now. I have to give a disclaimer here, Stephanie. The from um, the guest today is Mark Anderson, and he is my brother.
0: Well, I too have a disclaimer. Because Mark Anderson was my older children's teacher, yeah, that's right. And so he, my children will be super excited to listen to. Well, they better be super <laughs> excited
2: to listen to this or show. We're we talking about the distinguished Mark Anderson, isn't that what no. we had earlier?
1: We, I am not. I can't go that far. I'm all of a sudden my collar's tighter. I'm already just having him as a guest and saying he's an expert, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But my brother's
0: here to talk about Thanksgiving as a teacher and a history teacher and... And someone who's been teaching for a long time and are seeing shifts in the stories Mm -hmm. and how things are being presented, which I think is important for people to recognize what's happening within the public school system and how things are changing from what we learned if you're over 40 versus the younger generations. So... Um, Mark, do you want to start chime
1: in on that sure. and how things are changing, or maybe what what's happening today?
2: Sure. I think uh, the outside of Thanksgiving, I've been teaching for about twenty seven years, and I had a a non traditional uh, path into the teaching profession. I was in the military, and then had an accident and uh, had a head trauma, started having seizures, which my sister often likes to remind me of.
1: I, I do, I do, uh, <laughs> but, but I'm not going to say what we say to each other because it would be inappropriate at this moment.
2: Uh, but when I got into teaching, they had a program called Troops to Teachers, the military, uh, and I enrolled in it, and they helped me get my teaching certification. And my first job is actually at the Christian School of York. So I had the freedom to express myself and, and say, Teach history as I wanted to teach it, and as my sister can tell you, we're not from a very politically correct no, family to begin with. We so, and no. So, and I think we have a tradition of storytellers in our in our family. Uh, a lot of good uh, stories. So it just kind of came naturally. But as I've worked my way through the public school system, I've had a blessing in that I've taught at two community high schools. So traditional high schools uh, where. How I see things and how I approach history is the norm, and that is to to celebrate America and to celebrate uh, what is great about America. Just today I was talking to the kids about rugged individualism and American exceptionalism and what it really means. And so I'm an unapologetic flag waver, uh, so we celebrate, we acknowledge the sins of of ourselves as a people because we are imperfect people, which is what I always tell the kids. Uh, but that doesn't mean imperfect people don't do great things. So if we judged everybody by their worst, uh, we wouldn't have any heroes. So uh, I believe in American exceptionalism. I believe in the the idea of the shining city on a hill, as Winthrop put it, and Ronald Reagan so often referred to. So that's where I come from uh, when I approach teaching history and that is celebrating the blessings and everything that this country has to offer.
0: And I want to say, literally, one of my kids' favorite teachers, I think, of all time, yeah. truly. So you're making such a difference in the classroom. And um, I, I heard your name over and over and over
2: again. So I, I and, Kathy, are you listening to this? I <laughs>
1: I'm sorry. I stepped out for a moment. If you're listening listeners and you have a younger brother and I'm his older sister, um, you know, you know how it goes. And
0: you understand that stuff. I'll buy you a drink later. (laughs) (laughs) So what so we're seeing movements happen across the U.S. and we're seeing changes, revisionist history. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit to that what are you seeing are are you being directly asked to teach that way like what is happening in your world Right.
2: well that's a good question my the article that my sister referred to about in national review was specifically about advanced placement history and the college board and i had going to i had gone to a conference uh and let's just say i was kind of the outcast at the conference and they brought up an author uh some are familiar with howard zinn who he is he's not a legitimate historian and he's a Marxist and we, they were celebrating using him as a source. And I, I made the comment. The only thing I would use him for as a source is to talk to kids about revisionist history and to say, this is how the, the wrong approach. So what happened was then uh, Stanley Kurtz got in contact with me. Somehow he heard about all of this and, and asked that very same question and, uh, How do you balance the two? And if we go back to Thanksgiving, sure, there was always some tension between the natives in the place where the pilgrims or in Jamestown. Uh, That's a part of the story, but it doesn't override what is great and should be celebrated uh, about Thanksgiving. And that is perseverance. You had 102 people land and half of them died the first winter. And they didn't get back on a ship and go back to England because they believed in what it was that they were pursuing, which was freedom and liberty. The the original uh, Americans uh, that are pursuing a better life and and what America will become. And when they persevered through that, they worked in cooperation uh, with the Native American tribes that were there, and for fifty years, actually had a uh, a peace. And so the American Indians and the pilgrims worked cooperatively together. But if you read the revisionists, we'll keep calling them that, uh, that's not what it's about. They want to talk about conflict. They don't want to talk about the good.
1: Quick question. When you say that, are they creating it or are they using some kind of supposed source to say that? Or what are they doing?
2: (laughs) You mean the, those that are promoting this,
1: this, this conf- yeah, like this conflict and emphasizing that versus you just said they lived at peace and worked together reasonably well for for many years. Okay, um, what? How do they get around by saying that? Well, they they don't
2: document, it. and so, instance, if you go in and you look up the dark side of Thanksgiving or uh the dark holiday or something you'll see them talk sorry to interrupt
1: is that something you could literally google yes absolutely and and
2: you'll have articles come up from the usual suspects salon uh new york times you'll have all kinds of different ones come up uh this is really a movement it's really since the 1619 project that they're pushing all of this um that everything has to be through this lens of a certain demographic
1: so can I interrupt once more, yeah. just in case someone doesn't know what is what is the sixteen nineteen project? Uh,
2: the sixteen nineteen project is a completely bogus idea that everything it, it takes the first American slaves, the first slaves landed here in sixteen nineteen, and so it views all of American history through the lens of slavery, and that is the only lens that you look through. So everything looks through the to, through the lens of race, which ironically is exactly what people like Martin Luther King and and the original civil rights guys didn't want to do. They're, they're talking about being blind to it. And now what we're doing, we're seeing these pseudo pseudo historians say, "Well, that's the only thing that we should see things through." So an author, uh, well, I would not even call her an author, an investigative journalist, whatever she wants to be called, uh, created this sixteen nineteen project, which is a whole curriculum of all of American history seen through the eyes of slavery and race. Uh, Both, I mean, I'm talking to Ivy League professors that are left-leaning, right-leaning. They sent letters saying this is just bogus. It's completely bogus, but you have cities like Chicago who are adopting it into their curriculum. And that's what they're using for their primary curriculum. And they did the same thing with Thanksgiving. This is just one of those offshoots that they want to talk about it as what did uh, the pilgrims and in Jamestown? What did they do, or how did they impact the the native population? And they, you, you read it, you think that they came off a ship and they bought up smallpox like a like a snowball and flung it at the uh, you know at the Native Americans, killed them all off. That's that wasn't the intent, and that's not the story of the pilgrims. So they will say, well, fifty years later, then we had these this conflict. Between the Pilgrims and the Indians, they don't talk anything about the 50 years in between where there was a cooperative community uh, with both of them. And you they don't even talk about all of the things that we should celebrate the Pilgrims. Like I said, perseverance, our traditional religious founding and what that meant and what uh, Winthrop and Bradford thought was going to be this example. They were going to set up almost like a, a Christian free uh, utopia for all of the world to look at and that's why Ronald Reagan talked about it so much because he thought that America was to be looked at by the rest of the world this would be the example for everybody else so they don't talk about any of that all of the good they ignore all of it and they they a lot of the lot of the bad they create they just create it because as we know on the left they just have to say something and all of a sudden it's true you know
0: right well racist yeah they they call you a racist because they have sure. nothing else sure so what does a what is a student learning so what would be a sample of what i would learn if i were in a high school classroom right now outside of your classroom right I mean, maybe right. In not business. not in the mark classroom yes, yeah. yes. I,
2: I, I mean i think that's it's a hard question to answer because just take pennsylvania there's 500 school districts uh so what you're going to find in maybe suburban philadelphia is going to be something totally different than you're going to find in northern or central Pennsylvania. But uh, it all creeps. It's just like urban sprawl. You know, I mean, rural communities turn from rural communities into suburban communities. And what comes with suburban communities, and, and in my school district, we have always been a traditional rural school district, but we are in transition to a suburban school district. So the thoughts uh that arise from a more progressive demographic are spreading into our more traditional and resource. that's where
1: that stuff like the 1619 project yes. and all of these kind of theories and right. so forth come come into play sure and the 1619
2: project is an extreme uh not many people are you know in, in our school district we're not talking about critical race theory and and all of that garbage um but in it is spreading. I mean, the, the, the progressive worldview is public schools are a microcosm of America. Like I always say a high school cafeteria, every demographic is represented. Every personality is represented. So just like anything else as progressivism spreads to different communities, it's going to spread into the schools.
1: So. <clears throat> and, um, You know, I I think when you say that the sprawl and the spread, you know, it starts out, all these things start out as little trickles Mm -hmm. and they continue to snowball um, left unchecked. Do
3: you you agree?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, Well, I think it's intentional. I don't know that it's just little sprinkles. I think those sprinkles are because if they made a leap, Too many people would catch on and say, Oh, wait a second, that doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. And so they do the sprinkles intentionally to be able to swing that pendulum, or they like to swing the pendulum so far over that it's crazy, so they can bring it just a little bit so no longer the other side no longer seems crazy, even though it is. So I think there's a couple things that they use in order to push forward these agendas. Um, that are really theory-based. A lot of times it seems like they're just made up. I mean, sure. there's, there's not science behind them when you look at it. There isn't history to support it. A lot of times when you look mm-hmm. at it or it's a little truth nugget, but it's it's then taken away from truth. Right. And so they use just a little bit to say, yep, this is truthful, but then kind of I, go in a different I, direction.
2: I don't use textbooks in my classroom anymore. Uh, I do my own sourcing because, and and I tell my department, uh, I don't want you using textbooks specifically by one author, and they have to research the author before we will buy books. But is that
1: I, the exception versus the norm? No, I think
2: it? I think in history classes we're getting away from textbooks because you have so many resources online. But the teacher then still has to be responsible to use the proper resources, and not and and the College Board conference was an ex, was a perfect example. I was the only person in the room who was like, wait a second. What You guys use Howard Zinn as a, as a legit source? The guy's a, a Marxist. How can you use him? He just makes stuff up. And so I'm really big on sourcing. I make my kids source things. I teach, uh, and our department in general teaches what is a good source, what is a bad source. CNN is not a credible source. Uh I'm so sorry, I've
1: never heard of that. What is that called again?
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, a, sorry, just need to throw that in there. So I, uh, you know, we do I it's hard for me to say what is the norm outside of central Pennsylvania. The one encouraging thing is this. Whereas Soros and Soros and his taking over justice, the Justice Department. And what he did was he focused on these these DAs in all these areas, and he controlled the local justice department, the justice department at the federal level. I don't even worry about that as much as these DAs in all these different places. I think conservatives have been smart in that they've gone after school boards and you're seeing nationally. And I read a lot about education type stuff, you know, what's going to the trends and, and there's, you know, starting with Loudoun County, they did us a favor by being so nuts and radical that people suddenly said, what's going on in our schools? Right. And so now, you know, you're having school boards all across America and in my own community flip seats and say, look, we're going to take our schools back. And it's very empowering empowering for me as a public school teacher to know that the people in charge have my back. And I don't have to worry about, you know, calls that come in that complain about this or complain and call me those names, you know, that so- Uh, I think that's a positive trend that we're seeing—a true grassroots trend. In that we are, there's a lot of schools that we're taking back our schools.
0: So I was promised a Thanksgiving story. I'm ready. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Go ahead. So a Thanksgiving, like
2: the first Thanksgiving? Yeah. Or the Anderson Thanksgiving?
1: No, no, we're not going there. (laughs) Not going there. But um, I think it's it is can motivate. I mean, I remember taking our kids when they were little up to you know do a New England. Visit and going to Mayflower and seeing what the, I mean, seeing the of, rock, seeing the rock, yeah, the <laughs> rock, which is the a rock long, is, le- it's a it's a yeah, is a letdown. Yeah, that's <laughs> so underwhelming. But seeing that boat and just, I, I mean, and I haven't done this for what years, about? the Mayflower.
0: I wasn't there when I was there. <laughs> well, I saw
1: it, but anywho, you want the story. I, but to me, it was very meaningful to think, wow, they were on this boat and the bottom of that boat and they were sick and so forth. So that's the kind of thing I wanted you to share. I hope you would share sure. a little, Mark, like to remind us. What they went through. You talked about resilience before. Mm -hmm. And just, um, you know, we think we have things bad now, which it is. But they had it rough because they came to. Will you tell the story? Okay.
2: Um, Well, 102, you have to go back to Europe. uh, And these are people who had been persecuted uh, and had already moved around Europe. And and a pilgrim is a generic term of just a traveler, somebody who's. So I'm a pilgrim because I like to travel. Yeah, well, yeah, okay, yeah, we can go with that. (laughs) Uh,
0: um, Do you have that costume? I mean, they—I think they wear a certain thing. I'm willing. I'm willing. All right, go on. I'm sorry.
2: And And there were two groups: there were Puritans and Separatists. Puritans believed in purifying the Church of England, that we would reform it, kind of like Martin Luther would have thought about the Catholic Church. Uh, And then you have separatists that thought, you know, the church had been too corrupted. The church had been completely corrupted. So we have to start over. So we're separating from the church. So these are the two primary groups that are persecuted, that can't find a home. And eventually, 102 of them set out to come to the United States. They originally what was America at that point in time. They they meant to go to Virginia. They got blown off course and they ended up in, uh, in Plymouth. Now, Uncle Charlie, if you're listening to this, okay, I realize they had a Thanksgiving banquet in 1619 in Jamestown. I don't want to, you know, insult you Virginians. Okay, I understand it was the first one. Just
1: to clarify, (laughs) Uncle Charlie is a family member. He was very married to the Virginia story, but please.
2: So so the pilgrims arrived. They actually, they left with 102, but came with 102, but it was different because somebody died and there was a birth on the way here. So the first winter, they lose half of their population. It is most of them stay on the ship on the Mayflower.
1: So about 50 of them were gone after the first yes, year. Yes. Yes. So they didn't. They, they, 51. They, we yeah, talked about yeah, math. Yeah. It was no, actually a little no, over that. One guy died. <laughs> so they were down the 100. Well, okay, it's we, 50. Okay, okay, listen, this
2: is not math class. OK, so uh, it was actually a little over 50. Approximately half. Is that OK? okay. Can we agree on that? Shh.
0: Kathy, just let him go. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> No, no, said, no, not a word, not
1: a word. OK,
2: if we get into you tutoring me in economics in college, oh, I'm out of oh. here. OK, <laughs> OK. So anyway, they don't make it through that first winter. Uh, obviously, the human spirit and, and I always think important thing about history is you have to teach it through the lens of humans and human nature. And the human nature then or now would be to flee. This didn't work. Uh, let's go back. You had leaders who were completely dedicated to not necessarily economic prosperity. They were dedicated to a thought, to an idea, an idea of freedom and an idea of liberty and an idea of a moral society based in Christian principles. And that is the real story. And that's another one of the revisionist problems. They try and take religion out of it. This is a Christian society, a Christian community and so they survived and
1: and i just want to comment they were willing i mean it wasn't like cell phones like you know you could call home and say hey we made it to plymouth
2: yeah Um, they left everything
1: and they knew they were never
2: going to see their families again i mean this was it yeah this this was all all, and they could have eat they could have gone back they had an escape uh now the community involving the local uh tribes they worked in cooperation with each other. And the pilgrims would not have survived if you did not have cooperation between these two groups of people. The story is a is a story of cooperation and of unity. Uh, whereas all we want to do in today's history is teach division and this group against that group. That was not the story of the of the early pilgrims. And the biggest lesson out of it is perseverance. So the first Thanksgiving comes as a celebration of, look, we made it. Okay. We made it through. And now we're going to celebrate what God has blessed us with. And if you think about how awesome that is, that they lost half of their community, half dead. And they the ones that were alive were suffering. And so out of that, they said, but we're going to have a banquet for three days and we're going to thank God for everything that has gone on away.
0: Wait, I'm <clears> sorry. Did you say Thanksgiving was three days? Three days. And we only three get one Three days of stuff day? in your
2: face. We only get one. That's correct.
0: I feel very ripped off at this point. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, I'm highly disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to concentrate on other things. But please go on. Wait. I, I, no 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 it's time to take a break it seriously? is time to take a break as i ponder why i've been <laughs> had two days of thanksgiving ripped away from me well we're talking about revisionist history <laughs> so when you happened, went from three to one that quickly who knows what <laughs> all right we'll be right back guys america out loud talk radio plays on the iheart radio network you can also listen to on our media player from any web browser anywhere in the world We have the best in-class apps available on Apple, Android, and Alexa, where we stream 24-7. And now you can also hear hear them on the podcast on those same apps.
3: World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced. These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system to keep our bodies free from harmful bacteria, bacteria, viruses, and toxins become less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15%
0: Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health
2: naturally. Cofix Rx Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix Rx. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. Change in the world
0: one person at a time. Okay, I'm recovering. <laughs> I think I'm going to change up this year's Thanksgiving celebration, lock everyone in the house for three days and do Thursday, no Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That's right. There's no black shopping that's right. going on. And there's no, when does hunting start? Is that that's Saturday? Monday. 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 Yeah. Okay. Well, then they can still hunt.
2: Yes. So,
0: so go ahead. So, so
2: three days. So three days uh, of, of feasting. And understand that, that a day of Thanksgiving or a Few days of Thanksgiving. It was not something that was new. The pilgrims didn't invent it. The church in Europe uh declared days of Thanksgiving. They set aside days so,
1: <clears throat> I didn't I that's something I didn't realize. That was something that they had in their tradition. Yes. Okay. I was, yes, oh, I Europe, know that. For hundreds of years. I thought they
0: just like had a little group and said, no, no, hey, here's no. a new thing. Right. <laughs> hey, it's like, yeah, celebrate yeah. so, right, them in this new place. No, for hundred
2: for hundreds of years they had, they would set aside uh remembrances and thanksgivings for and it could be you know they declared them as they came it wasn't a set day like we. Had and
1: again been. that was
2: through their act of faith that's correct Their and their It faith was all about religion faith. right the so, days of thanksgiving were all about faith
0: and were all of these three days long
2: well that i don't know
1: okay, okay. I, I think okay. they varied and yeah. i feel that you're losing the whole <laughs> essence of this focused on that whole three-day vacation thing they did that's eat so. for
2: three solid days they did
1: and okay yep. I, I know we've talked about this we heard about this but what did they eat
2: uh, okay that's a hard that is a people debate this it was probably a lot of seafood venison uh if you just think what was native to their area was it wild turkey i i, I don't know we debate back forth corn obviously because that is what the the american indians brought to the to the table uh so a lot of it, though, was probably seafood. In fact, in our local history, we have a tavern in our town that has been around since the 1700s. We dug up, did digs, and we found oyster shells all over the place and other shells from other seafood that would come from Baltimore to our. So, a lot of the early settlers, whether it was Jamestown and that was in, whether it was Jamestown or uh, Baltimore or Plymouth, they ate a lot of seafood. It was it was a seafood heavy diet and game. You know, they didn't raise cattle they didn't raise sheep it was all game animals that they had to eat so um you have these three days and then up through the the revolution uh they would declare days intermittently so it was just you know even washington did a lot of proclamations on days of thanksgiving throughout the revolution uh when the constitution was ratified they did uh days of of thanksgiving that the whole nation would take part in it wasn't until abraham lincoln again you think when do we do these things through heartache and suffering the pilgrims do it the very first official this is going to be a day of thanksgiving was in 1863 right smack dab in the middle of the civil war so here you have again when it's official is when they're suffering the most so you have these people from the past who understand perseverance, who understand pushing for that rugged individualism that I say. a lot So called-
0: every time the Democrats win, we should have Thanksgiving because it's a time of suffering and suffering. Yes, yes that, that, makes that, sense.
2: that would be. Uh, so every day. That, okay, So that that is that's what it was. I mean, they, they seem to,
0: that's
1: amazing
2: them in the darkest hours.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think that goes back to like American exceptionalism that, you know, in the time of your, like you say, the pilgrims, you know, they lost 50 of their people or half their people. So every (laughs) family would have been touched by death, whether a child or spouse or whatever. And yet they took that time to set aside and saw something bigger than themselves Absolutely. and their dependence on God. And then Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War, which was a very, very dark day in American history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we sometimes I think we get and I know you and I, Stephanie, talk about, you know, all of the bad going on in the country. There's been lots of times in history when there was a lot of bad going on, but yet they paused and thanked God mm-hmm. and knew where from whence their help came.
2: Sure. And, and that is a big thing. You know, I mean, I'm really I, I don't shy away from in the classroom in a public school to talk about the importance of God and Judeo-Christianity within the founding of the United States. Um, I often bring up the founders and, you know, many of them, even if they weren't believing Christians, they were Christian and lived by Christian. Like
1: Christian Judeo-Christian Yeah, I mean, yeah.
2: Benjamin Franklin's 13 virtues. He was by no means a 100% virtuous man, but the last of the virtues is imitate Christ. And so that understanding the historical figure, Jesus of Nazareth lived the best life that the world has ever known. And if you want to imitate somebody, that's who we should imitate. Uh, John Jay, who is the very... Arthur, author of Federalist Papers and the first uh, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court believed that Christians should be the elected op- officials. And as if if you didn't have Christians as elected officials, there would be a morality issue. That would lead to the destruction of the republic
0: kind of like what we're seeing today right, just like it yeah so he predicted he, they all predicted today that this was going to happen that's right
2: i could talk for hours and, <laughs> and in ap i do like what the founders saw what they the brilliance of the founders they saw it all happening we were just talking to ap today about the constitution and i said look they put restrictions on voting they never believed that we should have a pure democracy they believed that people needed to vote who were vested, yeah. And they saw that if everybody was able to vote, not based on the things that we think it's based on, but if people voted and didn't care or didn't know, it would destroy the republic. And they say it over and over and over again.
0: I, so again, it's it. They predicted.
1: They our saw it. Yeah. Future. Yes. I, I have a question, and I know. Um, your faith, I mean, obviously in our families and so forth, have you gotten pushback um, in school, either from school administrators or parents when you present this? Cause we seem to, you know, people are afraid. And we've talked about that, Stephanie, afraid to stand up. And that's the whole point of the show that standing up and so forth, but have you, you know, so they're afraid, like, Oh, I can't say this, whatever. Have you received pushback?
2: At our school district, we are very blessed. Um, you know, you see the things, the bad things in the news, you see our teams playing, praying together, you know, our teams, you know, do blessings when they eat together, they do it on the field. I've never, ever, ever been challenged for a faith thing. Now I have been, you know, with, okay, what did you say about this or that? Uh, you know, there's too many pictures of Ronald Reagan in your room, which was actually was a thing that, a, that a lefty complained about <laughs> um hey, you so.
1: guys, what, too many pictures of ronald reagan
2: yeah my my classroom is a timeline so it starts with the age of discovery and it's my classroom is decorated i mean there's lots of decorations and it moves all throughout american history i have a poster of ronald reagan and i have a 1984 uh Make America great. That's was Ronald Reagan's, by the way. Make America great again button. Really? Yes, it was. Oh, Absolutely. I didn't know that. Absolutely. He did, did you it. know
0: that, Stephanie? So Trump stole Ronald. Yeah, Reagan's. he says
2: he made it up, but I have a button <laughs> to prove him wrong. It says um, make. It doesn't say make America great again. It says make America great.
0: Okay. Bush. So so.
2: Yeah. So again. Trump. Yeah.
0: Trump added so, it again, yeah. so we're okay.
2: great with Ronald Reagan. 49 states to That's one. That's right.
0: That makes so, sense now because he wants to make it great yeah, again, yes, just yes. like yeah. Ronald Reagan so, made it great.
2: Yeah, yeah. so he, he did. He, that. So, um, but they predicted all of it. I mean, everything. They, You know, I've often wanted to write a book, like what if they came back in a time machine and That'd have cool. each one with their interest? Like, see. They frankly, would say how dumb we are. Yeah, oh, no doubt about it. They, they would be absolutely incensed I mean, you say, well, you don't have to give an ID to vote. I mean, to them, that would be like, what? it wouldn't even be in their their, their I, realm of thinking.
1: You know, I have to say, we had an election recently, and um, I always take my ID in there just as a matter of, I mean, Principal. they never ask for it. Yeah. And I know the people, you know, are sitting there, but I always show it and they just ignore it. But I feel like
2: it's just, I just, you just need to do that. Well, I always wonder, you know, they they said that they can't mail out a voter ID because some of the states have said, look, you don't have a driver's license. Okay. We'll mail out IDs to everybody. So, oh, can't do that. We won't reach everybody. But they can mail out ballots to everybody. No matter, you can't, you can't right. mail a card, but you can mail a whole ballot to, to anybody. I, everybody.
1: I worked for a nonprofit <laughs> and we did a program called ID because people get out of prison. I don't know if you know this. And a lot, they confiscate they get out that. Of prison. So, well, they get out, of prison. get out of prison. No, no but they get did out of prison. Did everybody know that? No, When they get out of prison, they take all their IDs. So they don't have an ID, which it, it is a problem that then if they want sure. to change, they can't get a job and whatever but we had a program to pay for their ID. We actually stopped the program since so many other organizations did it and then we had things like you need your ID to get your Christmas gifts for your kids or your turkey. Guess what? If someone showed up without an ID, they got that thing really darn <laughs> quick because that whole, I mean, you know, to get that free turkey and I always thought you don't need it to vote, but to get your free butterball.
2: Yeah. You, um, you got it. Yeah. yeah. So So yeah, they they saw the entire thing that was going to happen. Um no Webster Said, if the Bible is taken out of the public school, if the Bible ceases to be the primary textbook, we're gonna have a problem. That'll be the end. And you know, it it's all about. I'm a firm believer in public education. I do not believe we should disengage. Um, You know, whether this is offensive or not, because we Andersons, we don't really care about offending people. But we need to engage. Christian conservatives need to engage. Don't retreat. You can't complain about the culture being taken over. If you don't engage in the culture
1: and I, um, I agree. I mean, you have to, and we talked about this. I know Stephanie um, about standing up, being aware. I remember my daughter in, and we're in a more progressive school district. God help us um, where my girls went, but I remember one time, and this is a little thing, but you got to even pay attention to little things. Uh, my daughter came home and was uh, learning the five pillars of Islam and great achievements by Muslims in the world. So I just said, wow, that's the- it was very deep dive into Islam. Mm-hmm. So I emailed the teacher, and you might remember this, Mark, because sure. you gave me... I emailed the teacher and I said, why are you doing this? You know, and she said, well, we're studying Africa. And since so many people in Africa identify as Muslims, you know, this is part of their culture. I said, "Okay, that's fair enough. Um, When you do American history and I don't know, 80 some percent of Americans identify as Christian something, you're going to get into that same level of detail about the Bible or you do Judaism. You're going to talk about the Torah and so forth. And uh, she was kind of like, well, and you said to me, Mark, you know, can you show me where this is in the curriculum? It stopped dead. And I remember saying to my daughter, I don't see this in your Mm -hmm. homework anymore. Are you still doing that? And she said, no, the teacher just moved on beyond it. Little thing, but by being aware. And I think you also, you have to have that conversation with your kids to be involved. And we've had a couple of shows, Stephanie,
0: about education. You got to know what's going on. You really do have to pay attention. I think that's probably one of the biggest issues that we face in America is that all of us are so busy. We're allowing other people to really make decisions for us without realizing it. And so we're sending our kids to school in trust, not seeing what is actually happening. And you, these people are with your children for the majority of the day. They're with you. They're your your children more than you are. Mm -hmm. And so if that's not the influence you want, there's a big problem. And let me tell you, there's a lot that are not the influence
2: that I would want for my children. And and I think you have to not you as, no, as, as, as a teacher, any teacher that is not very transparent about what's going on in their classroom, that's when a red flag goes up. There's any parent, liberal, conservative, you know, whatever, can walk into my room and I will engage them in a conversation. I will listen to them. They can check out my room. Heck, I don't care what they can do, whatever they want. And I will be very open with them. As soon as a school board member or a principal or a teacher... uh you know, has the attitude of being hiding something had a school board member tell me one time said, well, Mark, you know me, I'm not hiding anything. I said, yeah, but you appear to be because you won't talk to anybody. Yeah. So when a constituent calls you, talk to, you know, so, so I think transparency is just like government is important, but you got to understand, look, every dictator or authoritarian in the history of the world went after children, They went after education. It doesn't matter who it was. Every single one of them went after education. Because if you, you know, if you talk about a thousand year Reich, 97% of teachers in Germany were card carrying members of the Nazi party.
1: That, I think that goes back. I am struck by a couple of weeks ago we interviewed somebody who grew up in the Soviet Union.
0: Yeah,
1: and she talked about and her parents um, were in a part of the underground church. Her grandmother went to sure. the gulag for eight years and protested. Yes, mm-hmm. even in the gulag to have Sundays off from hard labor because that was her <laughs> Sabbath and one. Yes, but um, she talked about all of these things. And while they had these rules and they carted you away, you know, in the middle of the night, most of the people it wasn't the KGB. It was people turning in people and Absolutely. kids turning in parents. And we asked her, how did that happen? If you recall, and she said, it started in the schools because the kid would turn in the parent for saying yep. something at home and be praised and uh, in the school. And it was indoctrination from the very beginning. And if you didn't participate, you were yep. excluded from a lot of uh, privileges. So
2: you, My son, Ben, he had a chance to live in Miami for a year and he he got a chance to sit down with Cuban refugees, friends of his, and had parents and grandparents. And it was the same thing, what their education was like. So they would say, kids were hungry. close your eyes and pray to God for food. They'd open their eyes, there was nothing. And say, all right, now pray to God, pray to Castro. And you wake up and there's an apple on your desk. So every authoritarian understands the importance of education. And my philosophy is, I'm going to flip that. If it's just me in my own little world, my 130 kids a year, I'm going to flip that script. So I realize, look, they're going other places They're here. I can, I can impact them in the other direction. And that's what I try and do. So every single day, um, you know, ironically, with Thanksgiving, the only one that messed with it was FDR. Uh, you know, they're here, one of their heroes. And he moved it. He moved the date. I said, when Lincoln made it, here's what the date's going to be. He moved it back a week. So that shoppers would have five weeks instead of four weeks to, to Christmas. So who knew the FDR was such a capitalist
0: uh, mm-hmm.
2: that he wanted to. Uh, wow. Yeah. So he was the only one for three years during the depression. They moved Thanksgiving back one week. So
1: just for that, more shopping so, time. Just for
2: more shopping that, time.
1: That was probably a good idea. Yeah. Come, actually. <laughs> I mean, that's a good idea to stimulate commerce. Yeah. You know.
2: So There you go. But, so, so, you know, that's how I look at things. I engage I would never want to teach anywhere else. I love my community. We have a community school, which is, again, why I can't speak to, okay, what's going on, you know, here or there. You know that what's going on in suburban Philadelphia yes. is different than what's going yes. on here. Um, well, but I have a question. Yes.
0: So we're at Thanksgiving, just going back to the first Thanksgiving. Sure. What was dessert? Don't you want to know this, Kathy? I did not think of
1: that at all. I was was reveling in American exceptionalism (laughs) and you're like, did they have pumpkin
2: pie? Well,
0: I've had two days of food (laughs) taken away from me.
1: Still worried about the three days and now we're on dessert. Yeah, I
2: I don't know. Maybe they didn't have, maybe it was part of their suffering. (laughs) You know, it's one thing for half of your village to die. It's quite another not to have pie after you're done with your (laughs) your steak.
0: I'm just, I mean- (laughs) I'm just curious <laughs> what, you know, what the possibilities were. That's all. Yep. Yep. Uh, maybe I want to recreate an accurate Thanksgiving dinner at the Coxon household. Maybe that's. Maybe that's that, clams. Maybe, you need clams and oysters. oysters. And
2: yeah, yeah. So oysters and care.
0: corn. We don't do corn in my house. <laughs> Uh, she's already revisionist history that's right and we're
1: gonna go. change the yep, corn done now is it true did the indians bring the corn and sit down yes. with them
2: for the three they, days they showed them how to plant so their their survival was dependent upon american indian squanto uh who was he had actually been in europe he had been taken as a slave by traders he went to england learned english and then had come back to his tribe. I
1: didn't know that. And
2: yes, yeah, so Squanto could interpret. He could speak English, so he interpreted. I mean, you talk about
1: was it different, different
2: tribes or just one? Uh, there were two local tribes, but again, there's another revisionist thing. These you didn't come to America, and these tribes weren't like uh, you know a Disney movie where they were singing to trees and birds were flying around, and you know that wasn't a deal. They they were humans too. And I always say all the bad things that have happened in history is because of humanity, not because of it's this race or that group or from there. It's because of humanity. So, but this was a peaceful area. These tribes got a got along, but they had their enemies. They had their enemies in, in different locations. And actually, the local tribes and the pilgrims banded together against the Narragansetts, which is now Rhode Island, uh, to protect them against the other Indian tribe, which was their biggest threat. So so it, it, it all comes down to what do humans do. And I always tell the kids, humans have the capacity for great good and the capacity for great evil. And it doesn't matter where you come from, what your color is, you make that decision to choose good or to choose evil. And so, uh, you know, you make your own decision to succeed. I always tell my kids, I had to change it over time, but I used to tell them, sooner or later, you got to get off of Oprah's couch and make your own decisions.
1: (laughs) And I think that's the biggest problem with today and some of the changes, taking away that personal responsibility. Hey, it's not your fault. It's because of where you were born. And granted, um, I worked in the nonprofit field for the past 20 some years. There are certain people that are born in terrible areas that, you know, family situations, Mm -hmm. that they're behind the eight ball before they begin. But it's more about defining, you know, and using everything as an excuse versus um, looking at the opportunity sure. and the expectation. I just saw, I think it's Oregon that uh, eliminated any kind of a, a standards for graduation from high school, saying it was racist. And I thought that's actually awful to and, and saying, well, they can't do it anyway. So we're going to take this away. And, you know, I think it's that and that's what I see happening. That's so wrong. And, and
2: that is a trend. I mean, that, that is a trend, I think, in community and in, in our whole entire culture is personal responsibility is going by the wayside. And so uh, and that's that's that crosses political yes. lines for oh, sure. Absolutely. Um, the personal responsibility is 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 just out the window. And I always tell my staff and my bosses and everybody who will listen is, you know what, as a teacher and as a coach, it's easy to remove the hurdle. That's easy for us. The kid's running, there's a hurdle. We get it out of the way so they can run through. The hard part and what the good teachers do and the good coaches and the good mentors is that you do the hard work of teaching a kid how to go over the hurdle, through the hurdle, whatever they have to do to get by with the hurdle still in place. And continue in the race. Absolutely. So, so and I think that's really, that's an education. That's a trend, but it's a trend in our culture. You know, you can't make it easy. You have to teach them how to deal with them. And
0: heart. the pilgrims run over the hurdle. That's right. Well, and I,
1: I think the thing I didn't realize that he was just talking about, and I'm, I'm sure I heard it before, just, just forgot, they could have gone back. Sure. But they were so married to the idea of freedom and so forth, they were willing to risk their family, not risk, but go away from their family, be in this uh, you know, place they didn't know losing half their, and they still were committed to that dream and ideal. And I think that's what we've lost to say, you know, I'm going to pursue this and to see that, um, that amazing opportunity.
2: For those of you that get discouraged uh, about where we're headed, whether it's schools, culture, or whatever.
1: I'm that person. I'm thinking, I I think the apocalypse is any day. Oh my gosh.
2: How many times she called me and tell me that the the sky is falling.
1: I try to help him. I'm just saying.
2: So I am, I am a Ronald Reagan disciple. OK, so, yeah, I do have too many posters, but they're staying. OK, so uh, because I see him as everything that was good, not perfect, but he was honorable and he approached politics with honor. And so what I do with regularity is I watch his farewell address and I'm it. it gets me a little chills. I get a little teary because it's also our childhood. I'm a pure product of the 80s. Um, but Are you in- crying? I-, I am. I'm getting a oh, little verklempt.
1: Dad would be uh, so.
2: Upset oh my gosh, about Dad this. Dad We
1: Do, would not, be do not cry. So, Excuse me, listeners. I have to uh, punch him in the arm. So, if, but if you if you watch that,
2: uh, he talks. He tells the story of Winthrop and the Pilgrims. That's his farewell address, talking about what we are supposed to be.
1: Can I ask a question? If people yes. want to look at that, do you Google Reagan's farewell? Yes, it, address? It's,
2: the Reagan Library has a catalog. So if you look up just Reagan's farewell, you can watch it. Uh, you know, it's got the dramatic music and it makes you feel all all good about yourself. But we have to remember Ronald Reagan always said better days are ahead. He didn't give in to defeatism. And if, for those of you who are alive in the 1970s, 1978, pretty much we thought the world was ending because everything was good. The culture was going to junk. The 60s generation was running things. It was just a mess. The
1: gas lines, the you gas light yeah. gas on even and odd, I think. Yep,
2: there's a lot of parallels. The economy stunk. Iran had our hostages. Nobody respected us in the world. So there's a lot of parallels. But when Reagan came into office, he was determined that we better days are ahead. We can bring it back. And you watch that farewell address, he talks about the pilgrims and what we should be. And he talks about the shining city on the hill. And that's what America still is and always has to be. And when I watch it, it allows me to see the positive, but it also reminds me to fight. It always reminds me, I love my country and I'm not going to ever give up on my country. So I'm going to fight. And in my own little world, that includes how am I going to bring kids up to fight too? And so uh, I encourage you to watch it. Okay, I do. Yes, I get a little teary. I'm going to admit it. Okay, Maybe
0: turn off the football uh, games. Turn right. on Ronald Reagan. You turn on Ronald
2: Reagan, and I go to the I go to the catalog all the time. Say, come on, Ron, give it to me. All right. I'm just
1: so, having problems sitting in my
2: thinking. My brother sitting there like a little girl crying at this thing. I don't. I, I'm sorry, yeah, but I, I, you know, I'm sorry. See, that's why the rest of the family likes me better. Okay, so <laughs> so it it it's always been that way. If, if we're really honest. She's just never let it go. Okay. That I she yeah. had one of them. One of them liked her better. Everybody else is I, my I side. am the co-host of this
1: international talk show host. Stephanie, can you put an end to this right now and go back to your three what, day what did like, grandma
2: say? What did I'm, grandma not,
1: I'm say? not getting into it. Mark always
2: was the nice one. All right.
1: So let's <laughs> go back to desserts.
0: <laughs> what was that again? <laughs> so these so these pilgrims. They really had to get go through a lot, and this was Thanksgiving, and so perhaps if you know through these dark times, because mm-hmm. we are, we're in dark times, maybe sure. we should have more Thanksgivings. Maybe that's our problem is we Absolutely. haven't been going three days in three right. days. Right. Solid. right,
2: and and I think that's important. Washington, George Washington, who is the most important character in all of history, in my opinion. We could can we have that yeah. show later. Sure. Okay, all right. Um, but Washington would declare them. Whenever. Like he was oh, like so yes, how, he would how, say, Okay, next week we're having Tuesday. So
0: how many how often would this happen? Are we talking like three a year? How, I mean, there was no set there was no set time. He, what's our max rate? Like okay, I don't I, I didn't go back. I'm and, writing and, a letter and, to Biden. I, I think this is a good place. <laughs> good luck with that. I didn't make good it pray.
2: Were <laughs> we having a hard time with half of one hundred and two? And now you're expecting to figure out how many Thanksgivings George Washington did. I, I'm
0: just saying <laughs> a letter to the president, you know, because he might understand food. He doesn't understand. Mushrooms. I don't know. Like, and don't just
2: know. ice cream it has ice to be cream. soft food. It okay. can't handle the stuff.
0: Pumpkin pie ch- is soft.
2: That's true. Pumpkin. I don't know he might choke on the crust. He
1: might choke on the. So you usually, Stephanie, are at the high level um, with all of these shows, and here it's three days and dessert.
0: Yes.
1: And yes, we all have yes. our thing. Yes, you know. But I think you're right. I mean, perspective. That's my favorite word. Perspective. Right. And I went through some difficult times in my life. And I think the thing that I get out of it is looking at things with being thankful and not trying. And I do get down. I get upset with stuff. But to look at and I think working in the nonprofit the past couple of decades to look at what people go through and being proud of what I have or being grateful for what I have. And, yeah. you know, we're getting kind of the end mark. You have a couple. Um, it It is so important and well, it just changes how you think and live and feel.
2: Well, I would encourage everybody when you go through the, you know, what have we been thankful for? Not to do that at the Thanksgiving dinner table. I think that's something that you have to practice on your own. You know, I think of my pray- prayer life and when I'm praying and I struggle with it being consistent, you know, but how often do I spend time thanking God for blessings? As opposed to asking him for stuff or complaining. And I think that's a part of prayer. I think you, but you know, in your own life, how often do you sit back? I heard a person one time do a prayer and said his whole prayer was about all of the things that we take for granted God, thank you. I have fingers to feel. Thank you. I have eyes to see. Thank you. I have legs to walk because there's so many people that don't. And so when we focus on what we don't have, or what we wish we had or what, how we wish the world was, you've got to set aside time, set aside time to be thankful for what you have. And I think that's what keeps you going. Cause you guys know if you focus on the, oh man, you know, it, it'll drive you nuts. It consumes you. So I think Thanksgiving is a reminder to take that time. What do we enjoy? What's our blessing?
0: I think this is a reminder that you can have multiple Thanksgivings a year and be historically accurate. <laughs> Okay, I was gonna go in another direction, but so we veered off on that one again. We can't all have 130 people that we're influencing every year in the classroom, creating Ronald Reagan lovers. <laughs> but wherever At you least are- I come
2: after my poster. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but wherever you are, whatever you can do today, stand up, step forward, and speak out.